Welcome to the Inspiring Humans podcast. We are so happy to have you listening. My name is Stephanie Willard, and this podcast is a platform to showcase the incredible human spirit. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing people from all over the world and all walks of life who will be sharing with us their personal dreams and their dreams for the future. I believe that through coming together and creating community, incredible things are possible. In fact, anything is possible. And I hope that this podcast is a launch pad for creating the new world that we want to see that will have humanity free, thriving and living in their full self-expression. So today we have an awesome guest called Justin Mason who is going to share with us his story and his passion, which is all about food security and growing your own food and veg, um, organic fruit and veg, uh, to be able to kind of live sustainable lives. And I think it's very timely that we're having this conversation. I think in the last 12 months a lot of people have been home and had the opportunity to make use of their gardens in, in new and interesting ways. And I have personally been to see Justin's setup and it's absolutely mind-blowing and very inspiring. So welcome, Justin, today to the Inspiring Humans podcast. Um, I will just give a little short bio and then I'll let you kind of share uh, a more in-depth story and background and, and what led you to this as a passion. So Justin uh, is the founder and director of his company, Agri Aquaponics, and he has a passion to use unproductive space and grow food in in a water-wise fashion. And Justin, I know you've had like a history in, you know, in, in a great story and upbringing in that has led you to this path of, you know, your passion in making use of space and, and being able to, you know, empower others to be self-sufficient. Others on their own properties, but also restaurants and cafes and things like that, which I know you have yeah. on your site. So welcome to the podcast and uh, I'd love to hear a bit about what led you to this passion. Thanks, Steph. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think I'm at the age of, I just turned 46 yesterday, so I'm just getting to a point where I'm driving uh, is something which is my passion. Uh, I think from from zero to now is putting the building blocks in place to get to here. Uh, I still have a real job and I'll talk about that in a minute. That actually did inspire a lot of what I'm doing now. But originally agriculture has always been in my veins, um, not from a farming background, grew up in Melbourne in the city, Baldwin, uh, so in a, in, a, in a suburbs of Melbourne. Um, but as a child, I was found on the garage roof uh, propagating seeds in winter, um, it was, I, got, I found a packet of seeds and some sort of seed raising mix. And I had these trays on the garage, and the garage was because it, it created it was heat up there. This is in Melbourne in winter, so and it was you know I found it quite fascinating that I could actually have something to eat from a seed you know, in sort of three months uh, duration. So I was growing and planting as a kid in, and then as a teenager. I was fortunate enough, our parents bought a block of land as a hobby farm, which enabled us to sort of explore that passion even further. So we're working on the land every sort of weekend, um, every school holiday, we, we sort of converted a, an old 20 acre 
20-acre block of really a disused apple farm into a very productive uh, vineyard, actually, after about you know, five or six years. Um, and that in, in involved us all labouring away. Um, Dad's English, Mum's Australian, and good old English father. You know, you, you can do everything yourself. <laughs> Just put, you, put your mind to it. And, and that was really... I was fortunate looking back, you know, it, was, it really grounded us as children, three boys, I'm the oldest. My middle brother uh, is, a, is a vet uh, and that all I think inspired from that block of land, giving him that opportunity to be there every weekend and do things. And we actually did have horses just to keep the grass down more than anything. And then I went to, I ended up um, well, getting through up to year 12 and then got to the end of year 12 and thought, okay, I want to get into ag. But I also wanted to get into commerce. Dad was in banking and I could see how lucrative that was. So I was torn between like an ag science degree and a commerce degree. And Melbourne Uni had both. And um, then I found this course up in Orange in New South Wales, we did agricultural commerce. So it's a, bit, it's a blended course of both things that I really loved. So I turned 18 and suddenly um, by nine o'clock in the morning, I was at Vic Roads, got my license. And by 11 o'clock, I was on the road to Orange with a car full of suitcases um, to go and start university. And I did three years up there, got my degree, and uh, it was the best thing I ever did, best decision I ever made. And it was a, it was a, it was a tough decision because back then, um, you know, I had local universities and I got into a lot of those, but um, I was fortunate that my family opened up all the doors and said, you can go anywhere, do whatever you want. So I said, I can go to Orange? Said, yeah, go to Orange. I said, wow. And um, it was brilliant. So that was sort of a, a, a big seed into fueling this passion for agriculture and and being using the land and using the land to be productive and, and also built a huge network of friends uh, dotted all throughout New South Wales and Queensland. Um, so fast forward 25 years after after Orange, I was in London uh, for six or seven years in banking, Brisbane, uh, running my own business for about 10 years in Canada, running my own business for about five years. And now I'm home in Melbourne. Um, I left Melbourne when I was 21 and I returned when I was 42. So half my life was out of Melbourne. And gosh, I'm enjoying being back, that's for certain. Um, back to family, back to close to where my brother, my brother is, his farm and mum and dad. But I was working for a bank in the city, in, in Collins Street, and I'm on the 27th, 25th floor. And I look down every day, and I shouldn't say look down, but I look out across all the landscape, and we're higher than most buildings, so I'm looking at a lot of rooftops. And I'm thinking you know, there's a lot of people in here having lunch and dinner every day. And there's food carted in, food in bags and crates. That's great. Um, and but there's all this space on these roofs, and there's not even solar panels. There's a few solar panels on one or two roofs, but there's just concrete. Dead. I call it dead space. And I thought, wouldn't it be? You know, the land is so expensive in Melbourne, and just uh, uh, property land, just flat land on the ground level, is so it's so expensive. You have to to produce food. You have to be hundreds of kilometres away. And you've got transportation. You've got logistics. You've got yeah, it's not fresh. When was it harvested? What was it done? What, what was the um, what was done to it beforehand so you could get to get to market? And that's that's an economy in itself. And I'm not here to rattle that, but I'm thinking. Um, wouldn't it be great to use these rooftops in a much more productive way and, and trying to build a system and design a system so we could grow 
food. And it's not going to be your potatoes and your pumpkins, but it'll be your delicates, the things that don't travel well. Um, definitely your leafy greens and your herbs, but staples like you know, spinach and kale and all that type of lettuce. Uh, and, and we have really fresh food in the, in the city then. We have food growing in the city, being known for it. And Europe's a few steps in, in front of us in this respect. But and some uh, brain's going over, uh, ticking away. And you wouldn't believe it, but I, I sat back at my desk and the Windows screensaver comes up. And this is when the screensaver, then you click on it and it was an image. And if you like the image, you click on the image, it'll go to a website about that product. Or normally it's a landscape. And I did that, and it clicked. It went through to an uh, agri, uh, so an aquaponics uh, page. I'm like, well, this is really interesting. So I didn't, I couldn't spend too much time about work. So I copied the URL, sent it home, and I then looked into um, aquaponics. And an aquaponics is virtually a method of growing food. It's actually a, it's a science which has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Chinese used it, the Aztecs used it. It's using fish as the source of nutrients for a production uh, of, a, of a garden or more of a rice paddy field for the Chinese for argument's sake. So they had rice paddy fields, they had fish in those rice paddy fields and that was producing the nutrients for those, for those plants. So this is a, a closed loop system where you had fish in, in one area and that water would circulate through the garden and all you had to do is feed the fish and you had all your nutrients required to grow plants and, and vegetables. And I found that fascinating. You know, everything I've done so far, I think, wow, that's that's brilliant. Okay, and then how can we then modulate that to a to a situation where we can use it uh, in a productive manner? So the um, agro, uh, aquaponics is not a new uh, thing in the world right now. There's but but on a commercial scale, it's really not there yet. Um, but it's more. It's it's finesse and does really well on more of a micro scale than on a commercial scale. They do five acres of it. Yes, they're doing it in Oman and in the Middle East and in Indonesia, um, but it's really for that sort of medium size um, production. So, um, and and so moving on from that, like when I was I did travel a bit. So I said I mentioned I lived in Canada and traveling back to Australia. And another passion of mine, so it's, it's agriculture, is growing food, but really nutrition. And nutrition, global nutrition, is a real uh, bugbear of mine. And when I was coming back from Canada after living there for five years, I travelled back to Australia. I went via London, so that's not the most direct way, but I went via London to catch up with mates I hadn't seen for basically 15 years. And I realised that global nutrition was being deprived by highly manufactured foods. And it's not a realization but i just could physically see it i could physically see i was in a bit of a bubble in canada there for a period and and i was going through london the size of people what they're eating what they're putting in their mouth they're just grabbing stuff and putting it in um and actually thinking about the nutrition and and there's a big disconnect even the amount of water they're consuming there's a big dis disconnect in everything and then where there was relatively fresh food, particularly in London, Marks and Spencers, everything's in plastic. Uh, and I was just going, I was pulling my hair out. Saying, well, how could we feed all these people? But I understand you have to manufacture the food or have to use manufactured food because it lasts longer and it travels better. Okay, I understand that. But what if we could do micro systems so that everyone could have a micro system? So just those basic greens were fresh. Those basic nutrients were coming into their bodies fresh and untouched and organic. Uh, I'm 
not sort of a big advocate. I'm not a vegan or vegetarian or big on the organic wagon, but naturally this product and this system is it feeds that and it is organic and it's uh it's brilliant when you actually start then eating live food. Now we get into another world where actually we're snipping it and it's, it's going to our bodies within an hour, not unref unrefrigerated. That's what live food is. It's unrefrigerated. It's it's fresh. So, I, so it's nutrition is a is a big big player using the unproductive space, and then it's being water wise, um, and water wise that sort of was hammered come, came through to me during the last drought. You know, all my mates from from ag college dotted from Melbourne all the way up to Gundawindi, um, all suffering from the big drought we just had a couple of years ago. Um, and, and, and they'll, in, the, in the commentary from all of them was, oh, we got an inch of rain last month, but we didn't need it last month. We needed it the month before. Or we, it comes in the wrong time, and when it comes, it, it just runs off. And it's capturing that water. When we get it, we're such a, a great, vast country, but when we get it, how do we capture it? So that's a, a, it's a bigger, bigger discussion altogether. But then in my mind, I'm thinking, whatever I do, I want to be water-wise, and let's, let's capture the water and recycle it. And that's what our aquaponics does. So, so that's sort of – so the three big passions there are as a nutrition, using unproductive space, and being water-wise. And my aquaponic systems and hydroponic systems do, do, do utilize, do benefit all those three, those three parts. Of an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, your passion is contagious and, I, you know, you can feel how passionate you are about this topic. And thanks for explaining aquaponics because I think a lot of people don't, you know, aren't aware of what aquaponics is and mm. hydroponics as well. So if you can just explain what hydroponics is and mm. then, you know, I've been lucky enough to see your setup in your backyard but can you explain visually for people that haven't seen it before what it actually looks like absolutely absolutely uh, aquaponics and hydroponics are virtually similar processes uh what it really is, is using captured recycled water and you're recirculating that water aquaponics is using fish uh in a separate say maybe a tank and that water will go through the fish tank and pull through the nutrients into the into the garden uh, and aquaponics, therefore, aquaponics is using fish as a source of nutrients for the plants. That's the only difference. So I build and design uh, systems that can be used either way, with fish, I say, or without fish. Make it very simple. Um, with fish, aquaponics. Without fish, hydroponics. Now, my hydroponics is I call organic hydroponics because unlike the big commercial farms, which are fine uh, and they have a purpose. Um, they are really like a chemistry experiment. So they are balanced to the millimeter on pH and on all their nutrients. And if they're growing tomatoes, they only put these special nutrients in for the tomatoes. If they're growing lettuce, they put these special nutrients in. But mine is very generic. So I've built systems for the retail market, for the residential market. So therefore, it's just using one ingredient, and that's power feed, which is a, a organic seaweed extract, which comes from you get it from bunnies from any garden centre. It's sea salt's big brother. So you hear about sea salt, uh, a seaweed uh, uh, fertilizer. Actually, sea salt is just a conditioner; has no fertilizer in it. But power feed has the 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 the, uh, the nutrients which plants need. And I've built and maybe designed these systems, and I'll explain how they work. Um, 
I've tried to keep it as simple. I'm a bit, I have that engineering mindset, probably being on the land, building things, keeping it simple. But, and so it's, it, it's virtually bulletproof. And that is that I have, uh, I use uh, grow buckets. So they are one meter by 700 millimeters in diameter by 300 millimeters deep. It's a, it's actually a pond. So it's a, it's a quality food grade pond. And I, that's 200 liters can be held in there. So that becomes my garden, one of my garden beds. So one of my systems is two of those side by side. So the system would be two meters long by 700. Uh, and it would be on a, tro- like a, on a table trolley. So simply like a big steel table with wheels. And underneath that is a 400 liter uh, tub, exactly the same. They're made from the same uh, food grade polymers. And that would be a little bit longer and a little bit deeper. Um, and so what happens is a pump is in the, in, the, in the tub underneath. That's full of water, the one underneath. And the, and the, the two grow beds are full of uh, clay balls. And that's my secret, the secret source. And that's really an aquaponic um, uh, measure of uh, way of producing food. Is definitely they call clay media media balls, but they're aerated clay balls. They're round, they're smooth, and they're only about or oh, five, or about uh, ten mil, one centimeter in circumference. So the the plants grow in the clay balls. They don't grow in soil. Uh, and, the, and the trick there is what we're doing is we're constantly pumping water from the sump, that's what I call Grand Central Station underneath, into the grow beds. Constant, that water is constantly flowing in. And what we have is a, a drain pipe, which is, which is about an inch below the surface of those clay balls. So the water will get to the top of that drain pipe, so an inch below the surface, so the roots will get engaged with water, and then all the water will flow out through a spell siphon. So that's the, the bit of physics behind it. Uh, and that's automatic. So it doesn't need any, there's no, there's no mechanics behind that whatsoever. It, it just happens through physics. So it's a bit like a toilet. It, it, it constantly fills and then instantly dumps it all out. So it slowly fills and dumps it all out in one big hit back into that sump tank underneath. So that's the flow from the bottom in. So it's a 12, sorry, sorry, sorry it's a 12 volt pump. Um, so very low, low power usage. So it's 20 watts, so it's a small light bulb, and that's running 24-7. That doesn't stop. And I've designed systems where that can be connected to a DC battery, which can be connected to a solar panel. So this thing can be sitting in the middle of a tennis court or in the middle of a, an old car park somewhere. And then they're modular, so they can be scaled up and scaled down. So um, that's the basic sort of principles behind, and the only difference would be is if you had wanted fish, then you would add an additional tank, which would be a fish tank, which would be connected and the water would circulate through the fish tank first and come back in. And that water would be coming back into the sump tank, coming mixing that fish, uh, the ammonia, which the fish produce from actually from their gills. So it's not actually fish, fish waste. It's ammonia from their gills, comes back into the sump tank, and that ammonia gets converted into uh, 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 nitrates and nitrites, which the plants can absorb. And that's converted through the clay media balls because there's bacteria in those clay media balls, organic bacteria. So it's, um, it's, it's very, it's very, unique in the respect the design is all modulated and I've really cut it back and made it nice and neat for the end, us, the end consumer, because where I can see these trolleys, let's call it a trolley for argument's sake, two meters by 700 trolley on casters, on wheels, so it is mobile. 
suddenly we've got a mobile garden. Where is that good for? Well, patios. You've got small courtyards. Um, if you're renting, if you're renting, and you can't dig up the garden and, and plant big boxes and planter boxes in in a rental, um, and uh, you can when you finish your, your your tenancy, you can leave and will this with you. Um, so that that's quite unique in that respect. So that's what I'm offering. Right, that's what I'm trying to sell right now on, a, on my website, and, and I'm making different versions of that. And I obviously consult with the client first, understand what their their needs are and requirements, and have a look at their space and come up with ideas around this basic principle. Well, I can see you being extremely in demand very quickly because I think you know what person wouldn't want that set up in their backyard if they've got the space to have it. It's just you know that feeling of being able to pick your own fruit and veg and um, eat. I know, you know, at your house, you don't buy anything at the supermarket in terms of, you know, lettuce and mm. fruit and veg, which is what, what, what an incredible feeling. So uh, just thanks. That was a tremendous explanation of the setup and uh, it, it, you know, was so valuable to have you come out and, you know, scan the space and kind of suggest and consult on what would be possible in um you know, people's backyards and the space that they have. But for, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are wanting to do this in their own backyards. How would you um, scale it back and what would you advise people that are just kind of new to this, you know, few questions in here, uh, what can they grow, what can they start with and yeah. how can they make a start with, you know, baby steps towards growing something in their backyard? Well, that's a really good question and, um, that, and that's what I'm always thinking about. I'm always thinking about the end consumer. I'm thinking about what would a, a non, someone who wants to passionate about what goes into their body, but really doesn't have an idea about gardening and and growing vegetables and what to do. But these pests and that pest. So that therefore my my designs I've made them very simple. So a simple um, uh, grow bed. Uh, which I, I, that's why I like the, the two two grow bed is excellent because you get for two meters by seven hundred you can get some decent amount of vegetables in there, uh, and you start with your lettuce, your leafy greens, uh, they're easy, and, and you go to Bunnings and buy a punnet or garden centre, buy a punnet of of um, of uh, whatever vegetables you like, the leafy greens. When you start going to the fruiting vegetables, the tomatoes, the peppers, the capsicums, um, they need a little bit more, obviously they need the heat, so they're summer only, and uh, and they need a lot more nutrients as well. And you read the plants. So I'm not, I'm not sort of being airy-fairy about reading the tea leaves, but you do look at the leaves. that They, they tell you what they need. Um, if the plant goes... Uh, pale yellow and the veins get really yellow and there's it doesn't look right doesn't have that deep rich green well we need a bit, a bit more nutrients in there so we can we can we can test that through water test kits and that, that is possible but to keep it simple what i what i recommend is once we have a system up and running turn it on it just does its thing we plant out a whole bunch of lettuce and some kale and a bok choy and things like that and we put 50 mils of power feed, which is 50 mils, not even not even your little palm palm worth of power feed every fortnight. So we go on a cycle. Let's go every fortnight. We'll drop 50 mils into the tub underneath, uh, and that's it. And that it'll, it'll just do its own thing. But to start with, definitely those leafy greens. One of the biggest tricks, and um, one of my, a few of my clients have done this, and they planted plants and they're wilted and haven't looked too good and they've died. And I haven't had anything die. I'm thinking, what has happened here? I'm thinking, testing the water. No, it's, everything's fine. Uh, they planted with the soil on still. 
they had the they actually took it out of the punnet from Bunnings, the bigger one, and whacked it right into the clay balls with all the soil attached. What's happened there is it's drowning because it, it doesn't want any soil on the roots. The roots want to be in those clay balls, just the roots. So if you take taking a punnet um, with which has got seed raising mixture in soil, you break out all your bits of your, each each lettuce and you soak it in, in water. You shake it in water in a big bucket. Let all that soil come off so you can see the whites of the roots. You want to see the roots, the actual colour of the roots. And you plant, just move a few clay balls down, you can plant them. The best thing about the clay balls is no weeds. And because it's raised, very few pests. Snails don't get up there. So my productivity is massive. I've actually got, I'm growing also vegetables on the ground as well in garden beds. My productivity on my, my, my grow beds is 10 times what's on the, on the ground because it's getting smacked with all the pests, more pests than up because up, it's, it's waist height. So the grow beds are waist height. So everything is there at your waist. And the only thing that's getting in is, um, is caterpillars. And that's because the butterflies are laying eggs on the leaves. So you see white butterflies, just you get out there and check for caterpillars and you just pick them off. Um, so it's old school sort of pest management. Um, but you're keeping it very simple. And, and, that, and <clears throat> excuse me, there's obviously seasons and I'll help that too. So I have, I have um, charts of, of, the, of the months of the year of what to plant when. Particularly in Melbourne, what works, you know, in January, February, March, April, May, June, the winter veg versus the summer veg. But you have those leafy greens can go all year round. You can do kale and lettuce all year round, bok choy, fantastic. Amazing. I've got a few very specific questions that I know people have in their minds. Um, what plants deter butterflies? Are there certain plants yes. that you can buy that deter them? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. Butterflies. Um, a big butterfly net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love butterflies, but yeah, yeah. it's like the white ones. It's those white mothy-looking ones. Um, it uh, a white anything with a white flower, like a white daisy. That's mm -hmm. a good organic way of getting of deterring. It doesn't. It's not foolproof. It deters uh, butterflies because it looks they're, they're ter territorial, and so it looks like a butterfly. It's a white daisy. Uh, so I, in every one of my grow beds, I have a, a, a yeah, maybe it's pansies. I'm not too sure, but um, I have one of those plants in there as well. Uh, it does, I believe, I'm getting a lot less, a lot less invasions into those beds than in other beds. And then I've, I've speaking to uh, people in Melbourne this this summer. We've had a very cold summer as well. And another important part of my design and my kits is that I do supply covers for them as well. So each grow bed has a dome cover, which covers it. And that's great for winter and it's got a PVC cover and a mesh cover. So there's two covers that Velcro on and off. The mesh one's great for mi minimizing the butterflies, stopping them from getting in. Uh, and also protecting it, protecting the veg from the harsh sun. Because even like the weather we had today, where it's 30, 32 degrees and the westerly sun's hitting your produce, everything goes a bit limp. So it doesn't really like that aggressive sun. Definitely loves a lot of morning sun. Uh, these are things you learn. And having a system on wheels, you can move it around, which is brilliant. You know, you can move. And I, I call one of my systems "Follow the Sun," and that's a bit from Xavier Rudd. But we'll just go from "Follow the Sun" uh, because we can move it uh, winter versus summer. Uh, one where I am now, everything's on one side of the house because that's gets the best uh, morning sun in the summer. But the other side of the house, it gets the best uh, sun in winter. So I just wheel everything over there, um, and so everything of mine's 
it doesn't have, doesn't, you don't have to have a mobile version, but I, I just find that for the extra, I think it's a hundred dollars um, for the for the casters and the quality casters, uh, it, it it adds, it gives you great versatility, and me, it goes, it brings it to another level where you can actually, if you're a tenant, you can move it. If you need to move it, your guests move it out the way, your barbecue, uh, and move it back into the spot for when when you're at home. Amazing. I've got another couple specific questions and then I want to ask you, you know, the big, the big vision. Uh, so what about the fish in aquaponics? Are there specific fish that you use? That's a good question. Absolutely. Um, native fish. Uh, native fish and silver perch and trout are the most popular. Silver perch uh, are very hardy. Uh, they last about three years before they become what they call plate size where you can consume them. Uh, trout, on the other hand, um, they're hardy as well. They're fast growers, and they can only they can be plate size in eighteen months, so they grow twice as fast as silver perch. Very hungry fish, aggressive feeders. Down in Melbourne, it's a real balancing act because silver perch don't like cold, cold water. So anything under sort of ten degrees, and we had a few of those this this. Uh, so. You might lose one or two. And that's that's part of fish management. You, know, you always go for in, in one of our tanks. We'll probably start with fifty, and we'll buy uh, fingerlings, so they're about as big as your finger. And you might lose probably twenty percent of them over the first year because that's the, the most vol- the vulnerable period the first year. But trout love the cold, but don't like the heat. And today, uh, I had a, one of my water monitors came back to me and said my fish tank was twenty six degrees. And trout don't like anything more than sort of 22, 23 degrees. So I don't, I don't have trout. I've got currently silver perch. The silver perch are fine in this. So that, that you know, with the aquaponics, I definitely would get more involved in, in, in design. And that wouldn't be mobile. That would be more of a stationary unit. And I have, moving on from that, I have a big um, sort of commercial units going right now on farms here on the Mornington Peninsula. And uh, they're really designed for... Uh, putting in um, in the back of restaurants on rooftops, um, when I say back of restaurants, in, in the, the car park or that area at the back where the dumpsters are, we, all I need is say something that's even six metres long by two metres wide. So they're narrow and long and they're modular too. So I can go, go longer or I can go multiple side by side. Uh, and that's sort of, that's my commercial uh, product. So if, if a restaurateur or a cafe said, yes, I definitely want to have more control of my, my source. Um, I want to grow this, this, and this, and I go through all this every, every week. Um, I will then formulate a, a strategy and design for them, and we'll look at the layout and get planning, promoval, planning approval. The beautiful thing about my systems is nothing goes, nothing penetrates the ground. Everything sits on the ground. So everything can be moved and, and, and removed later. So if the tenancy finishes or whatever. And like on a rooftop for argument's sake, my systems are, are actually, the commercial systems are made out of scaffolding as the, as the tower. So think about a scaffolding tower, which is 1,200 wide and they're in 2.5 metre bays. Uh, and each bay holds two grow beds. Uh, so, and that's because it's designed so I could walk up a stairwell and get it up to the rooftop and then and erect it. And it's self-leveling, so it has all these uh, great attributes. So scaffolding, and it's recyclable. So in respect, to, I'm using re- old scaffolding, which is recycled products. My grow beds are made out of IBC tubs, 
uh, for the commercial side of things. And that's, again, a recycled product, which is transported maybe olive oil in the past or something like that. And I've cut and chopped and, and used those. So uh, are you trying, uh, try and use um, as many recyclable uh, uh, products as I can in my, in my, in my systems. Um, so I do have a commercial offering and I do, do have a retail offering. So completely different, but basically the science is the same about the water flow. And definitely the aquaponics, I definitely lean more on a, a larger system. And you could do it for a home system, but it'll be a larger system and it'll be to feed the whole family. Amazing. And, you know, there's so many people at the moment looking at how they can live off the grid. Can you speak a little bit to that for people that might not know what off the grid means? Um, you know, many people do, but some people it's, it's new to them. And, uh, and just in with that question, I want to ask you as well, how do you utilise solar, solar power in your setups? Yeah, so um, good question. My, my, I'm lucky that I've sourced really good quality pumps and every, all the components I've sourced are best I can get. Um, and I use PodMax, that's the brand, that's for the, the tubs and the pumps. So I really have that one supplier, US company. Uh, and um, the pumps themselves, I have an option for a 12 volt pump. So that's just running off 12 volts. So that's a battery. So I use um, uh, a deep cycle battery. So these are like caravan batteries. But again, very good quality. From a, uh, I went to the caravan camping show in Melbourne, and I got the, found the supplier that way. And he and he supplies me everything with the solar panels, the batteries, the inverters, and everything like that. So it's a very neat little system. Um, so the solar panels are connected directly to the battery, or actually directly to a, yes, directly to the battery. That's keeping the battery topped up during the day. But remember, the pump is running twenty four seven. So the pump, the battery will go down overnight. You know, slowly, slowly, slowly. And you can run for about five days without any solar input. So the batteries are, are, are decent batteries in that respect. Uh, and the solar just keeps that battery topped up. So that is completely off the grid. That could be sitting, I could have that be sitting on, on the Eastern Freeway in, in the middle, producing food. And that's, that's when you put that in your head with no other inputs other than fish food, I'm producing food. So that's quite unique. That's incredible. And I think, you know, now is the time for us to um, start to think of how we can be free and sovereign and not rely on, you know, because it, it, we're seeing at the moment uh, the middle, you know, the, the medium-sized businesses being wiped out and the large ones, you know, thriving with, with what's happening in the world at the moment. And it's so important for us to think as humans, as sovereign beings, how can we provide for ourselves, you know, so we're uh, the least possible, uh, you know, reliant on the system for our livelihoods. And I just think, Justin, what you're doing is so inspiring and so timely. I mean, it's always timely, but, um, and what you mentioned before about, you know, why aren't we being educated about this? Why hasn't this been in our education systems? Why why aren't we hearing more at the moment about how we build our immune systems, you know, with the current status quo? And it's it's very obvious, it's very clear. And, you know, we can have very strong immune systems that prevent us from becoming ill, you know, because we're so strong with what we put into our bodies. So I just think this is such a gift to be able to share this information with people so that they can begin to, 
take the steps to create their own or to reach out to people like you to support them yeah. to set up, you know, and utilize their space. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, you're so, so right. And it works. I'm so impressed in, in how productive it is. I, I'm actually astounding myself. Um, I've got, I've got spinach in the middle of summer. Spinach is a win, winter veg normally, but I've using the local diggers who is um, down in Dramana who produce seeds and uh, uh, heirloom seeds and organic seeds and have a huge range. So you've got a good suppliers of seeds and I produce, uh, propagate my own seeds, but I've got, I've got spinach which is over a foot high. Uh, I can't eat it. <laughs> I'm out there, snip, snip, snip in the smoothie, two or three leaves. They're that big, they're jumping out of the smoothie tin. Like I'm having to actually sit on it just to get it in there. Um, you're right. It, it is, it's, it's not hard. We just need to stop, think, and sort of as, as we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, uh, be really, be, be a being, be within, just stop and, 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 what what am I doing? What, what am, why am I eating all these vegetables from the supermarket which are in plastic bags? Do I need to do that? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Do I need? Do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? And yes, I'm not, I'm not going to solve solve all 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 issues and and feed the world, but I, I think definitely if we can improve the initial nutrition. Um, and, and get that fresh greens back into our system, organic greens, because that the, the fresh leafy greens need a lot of uh, chemicals on them to obviously combat the, the pests, caterpillars, um, um, snails and whatnot, all the pests, but also to then transport it. To, for you to get a lettuce that's still crispy and good, that, that's been – there's some stuff going in there to try and to get it to that position. Um, I've got strawberries right out the back, 10 meters away. I'm picking them. If I put them in the fridge overnight, they, they look terrible because they, they're not. I'm thinking, how are the ones that we get from Queensland, which are trucked down for 2,000 plus kilometers, looking perky and nice, but mine don't last a day in the fridge? Something's not right there. So, you know, oh, that's fine for the blender, but it's, that's absolutely fine. So there's, there's definitely, and that's, I've, I've done an aquaponics course. I've actually, there's a master who's in Queensland, um, Murray Hallam, and I did his eight-week course. So I've got a proper certificate looking at now in uh, aquaponics design. And he's, um, he questions what, what's in food. And he just questions how, how, what, what they've done to food to get it, particularly what they call fresh food to get it to our, our, our and that's just a convenience thing. We, we're, we're our own fault because we want mangoes all year round. We want avocados all year round. Uh, what drives me about going back to the nutrition, what drives me absolutely bananas is when you're looking, you get walking around the supermarket and you've got garlic from China or garlic, I think it's coming from Spain right now. You know how many kilometers that is? That's huge. The food miles, the food miles on the food. Uh, I always think about I put everything into food miles. How far has that come before it's hit that shelf or hit my trolley? You know, Queensland's far enough as far as I'm concerned, but I'm not buying oranges from South Africa. I'm not buying garlic from China. Garlic can last nearly six months in the cupboard. Now, we grow it in Gippsland. I grow it in aquaponics. It's fantastic. They grow in the clay pebbles. Um, great garlic last year. I've actually just planted some last week. And that'll be ready in September, October. Takes a while. Um, but it's all about understanding do I where does it come from? One, what do I need? Two, and 
what can I grow myself to to negate that? And um, and the grow yourself thing, I don't expect everyone to have that answer. Give me a call. Speak to the local uh, your local uh, gardener, um, your local garden shop. Go to Bunnings and see what's on display. That's always in season. That's always right to plant. They're they're very good like that. But um, um, reach out. Thanks a million, Justin. That's super, super interesting. And I think everyone listening will take away, you know, many things from the talk, but at least one, two, three things. And uh, just, I, th I suppose, you know, I can really hear your passion in just, I think you mentioned, um, you know, the knowing where things are from. And I remember there was a study done where they went into schools in America and I'm sure a lot of other countries and the kids had absolutely no idea what you know the name of some of the fruits and vegetables but where they came from and you know I remember that just really hit me and you know because that's it shows the you know the, the illness of our times in that we're so disconnected to the land to uh you know where things come from and just disconnected from the land in general you know we, we just have to think of it, uh, Aboriginal communities and how they knew as you were just talking about they knew what fruit and veg grew in what seasons, where to find them, how to cultivate them. You know, so much knowledge is there. And why aren't we learning from yeah. our Indigenous we people? We need to go back 100 years. We need to go back to our grandparents, you know, through, through the war and all, and how they preserved foods. Preserving is fantastic. Um, you know, drying, pickling, whatever it may be. But they got through. They had their seasons. That was ready for the season. And they're doing it in Melbourne now. I follow the Silly's Garden Show and, and, and they're fantastic and they've got their grandmothers pickling tomatoes and, and sourcing tomatoes because that's what they're focusing on and keeping having a stock for the next the next 12 months until next season. That's what we've got to go back to, is get out of this sort of high um, – high expectation of it's going to be available fresh for me down the road when I wheel the trolley around the corner and uh, have a bit more um, understanding of what's actually going into your system. And it tastes so different, you know, as you were saying oh, before, you can, you can tell the taste is so different. You know, there's so many pesticides and stuff on the food that, you know, we've just got no idea about and mm. you can, can taste the difference. But I just want to end on and I'd love to just kind of, Something that really inspired me when I saw your setup was the seeds growing, you know, the actual, you know, how it starts and also your uh, vision and desire to go into schools and teach kids, you know, let, give them that connection, give them that excitement to actually learn about how seeds grow and what comes from the seed. Yeah, so like how I started this conversation, myself as a child propagating seeds, it's a fascinating thing watching seeds come up through the soil and the next day you look they're a little bit bigger and they're a little bit bigger and then in 12 weeks time you've got a full plant which you can consume um definitely we need to get that back into this, this. and i know they are doing it. I, I applaud Woolworths at the moment for um they, they've got those little seed pots now back at the cash registers which encourages people to go home and plant a seed and see it see it bloom um and i know um prince charles just saying last week that he wants kids to get back out, get outside, and 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 to be with nature, uh, embrace nature, pick up a seed from the bush or a fruit from, and plant that seed. See if it grows. Experiment. And that's what we're, we're. Life is a bit of an experiment in that respect. Um, and, and definitely, I've, in my my systems, 
I've reached out to many schools and wanting to get um, uh, aquaponics uh, systems uh, designed and built for those schools and there's a lot actually happening behind the scenes so that is a bit of, bit of a, uh, something that is happening um, but I think it's now I'm really concerned with the teenagers plus years it's, it's e easy to do the the young ones but it's the ones that are sort of now leaving home or at, at home still but and not giving a rat's what's going down their throat and um and, and and they're moving out and they're in a unit and this is a perfect opportunity. I've got a system perfect for unit living, one metre by 700 on the deck, on the smallest little patio you can have and they can grow there and they can be part of this. And, and want them, I want them to stop and disconnect from the tech for just a minute and just think about what's going on. Amazing. Well, I'm sure when they see your setup, get out there and the word spreads that they'll be... Uh, very interested to see kind of how to do that because I think, you know, all of us deep down want to be connected to the land and want to understand and, you know, it's so exciting. I mean, we've got our little sprout container here that we bought where we're putting little sprout seeds in. It's tiny. It's just, you know, with the and, and having them, you know, they grow in a day or two. It's yeah, incredible. That's true. Yeah, and the nutrients in them is equal to like a kilo of green veg, you know, mm. sprouts. So there, there's just so much that we can be doing and, you know, not all of it um, takes a long time either. It's it very doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's, just, it's just stopping thinking and it's, it's all there. Everything's at our fingertips. We can do it very easily. We just need to stop and think. And, and with the beautiful thing about the systems that I've designed, they are bulletproof in respect. You turn it on and it's self-watering. And that's one of the things about having your own garden, having it as the pot on the, on the, on the windowsill. You're not around for a week, it dies. This, this will not die. Nothing will die because of water. Uh, the, only th the only thing I've seen dies because <laughs> you leave the soil on or something like that or, or and the possums could get to it but okay we have to put nets over and protect it and that's why I put I put domes on mine and I provide that for my clients so that's self-watering I've made it simple easy very very um, informative but you don't you don't need any knowledge at all about growing anything to to make this work Amazing. Thank you so much, Justin. And thanks for so many gold nuggets for our listeners. Uh, I'm sure, you know, everyone that listens to this interview will take some um, great tips away. So thanks again for your time. Thank you, Steph. Always a pleasure. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to our Inspiring Humans podcast and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any inspiring human in mind that you would like to nominate, please reach out and let us know. Also, you're very welcome to become part of our Facebook group called Inspiring Humans, where you can connect with incredible people from around the globe. Uh, thirdly, if you are interested in being part of a global network, we have an incredible community at sevencontinentscouncil.com, where we hold events, programs, and many different initiatives that you can be involved in. Thank you and see you again soon.